Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback. Okay, so as usual, we're going to start with a quick synopsis of the chapter. So Harry, Ron, and Hermione are anxious because they believe Quirrell is the only thing stopping Snape from getting to the Philosopher's Stone, but they also have extra homework and upcoming exams to worry about. While studying, they run into Hagrid at the library, whom they discover is researching dragons. When they go to visit him in his hut, they convince Hagrid to reveal which other staff members have helped to protect the stone, and are shocked to find out that the list includes Snape. They also discover that Hagrid is hiding a Norwegian Ridgeback dragon egg in his hut, which he won the previous night playing cards at the pub with a stranger. Later on, Malfoy overhears the trio whispering about the dragon egg, and goes down to spy on them through the window as the egg, Norbert, is hatching. The trio writes to Ron's brother, Charlie, who works with dragons in Romania, and he agrees to smuggle Norbert out if they can get him to the tallest tower at midnight on Saturday. They successfully see Norbert off, even managing to avoid Malfoy, who learns of their plan, because of the safety of the invisibility cloak. In their excitement, however, they leave the cloak in the tower and are caught by Filch at the bottom of the stairs. So, I know this is a little odd, but as I finished reading this chapter, I found myself wondering, what was the point of it? Because in most chapters in the Harry Potter series, there are really important plot points, there are things that happen that are tied up later on in the series, or previous plot points that were resolved in this chapter. That doesn't really happen in this chapter. There's really, the only relevant plot point is Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback, which all of the stuff that we learn about Norbert and everything that happens is resolved in the same chapter. So given that, why was this chapter necessary to include in this book? Well, I think that's an interesting point. I think there's a couple of reasons for that, um, some of which we'll talk about later, but I think one of them is that Harry needs a way to get detention in the Forbidden Forest. So at the beginning of the next chapter, Harry, Hermione, Neville, and Malfoy actually all get detention, and in that detention, they have to go to the Forbidden Forest. And so they need to get there in order to witness some important events that we'll get to in the next chapter and gain this critical information to move the plot along. Um, so in a very basic sense, they needed to do something where they were going to get in trouble. Right. But why this specifically? I mean, couldn't it have just been sort of anything where Harry was sneaking around after dark? We'd already seen him a couple chapters ago get caught out of bed sneaking. Well, I think the point of having Norbert specifically is that um, that whole plot point really develops Hagrid's character, which we'll talk a lot more about. Um, And this whole scene also develops uh, Malfoy's character in some ways. But besides the character development, I also think that, you know, having all these interactions with Hagrid gives them the information that Snape is one of the professors protecting the stone. Right. So maybe it gives them some kind of sense of urgency about needing to save it or somehow intervene in that way. Yeah, I think I think they probably do have more urgency now. And then kind of back to um, the punishment part of it. Mm -hmm. It also... um, you know, them getting detention also has them lose Gryffindor 150 house points um, and any chance of the house cup. So um, this makes it more satisfying when at the end, they and Neville actually all get these points back and end up winning. So right. um, I think that's kind of in combination with needing detention to get to the forest and also needing this punishment so that they can redeem themselves 
and Gryffindor can come out on top at mm-hmm. the end. Yeah, I like that. I think that's true. Yeah, and that leads me to another thing that I was questioning when I was reading this chapter. I mean, it ties in with the whole, why do we need this chapter at all kind of thing. But it was, what was Norbert's purpose in in the book and in the chapter specifically? Because, again, as we said, you know, everything that happens with Norbert is contained in this one chapter. There's nothing before or after this chapter that really mentions Norbert's presence at all, except for passing mentions occasionally. I was thinking about what is the point of Norbert's character. And I think really the greatest thing that Norbert brings to the story is the development of Hagrid's character as someone who loves really dangerous creatures, especially dragons. You know, he says he's always wanted to have a dragon. And I think Harry even heard him say that the first time they met in Diagon Alley. And then mm-hmm. that comes along back around here, of course, when he gets a dragon. It, it's sort of his like greatest desire. I mean, again, mm-hmm. I wonder what Hagrid would see if he looked into the mirror of Erised, but it might be him raising a dragon. Very well could be one of his greatest desires. Yeah, and we see how emotional he gets that when he, Norbert has to leave, he is really attached yeah, to Yeah, he even refers dragon. to himself as mummy. Yeah. So Hagrid, I mean, there's a lot of great things to talk about with him, but I also think in general um, with the dragon, this is really our first major introduction to these mythical creatures um, in the Harry Potter universe. We've been introduced to Fluffy, uh, the three-headed dog, briefly so far, and, you know, we've had some other animals that are magical or um, animagi, but I think that This is the first real, you know, everyone knows, even outside of the Harry Potter universe, you know, dragons are this mystical Mm. creature and it's a huge thing. And it's like, okay, wow, dragons are here and they're so, you know, accessible in a way that you can buy them, you know, you can win them in a card game. And even though that's not legal, it's still the idea that they are here and they're real um, and we're kind of getting this birth of this dragon. And I think it's actually interesting to see how, even though dragons don't play as huge a role in this series as many other fantasy series they still do play a role so in the goblet of fire obviously um the dragons will be at one of the tasks the first task and then later on with the gringotts um dragon we'll see that in the seventh book we'll see that the dragon is their means of escape so i do think that there is a threat of dragons and their dangerousness but also their humanity almost and their usefulness at times yeah and we can see that a lot of characters have a deep respect even reverence for dragons especially hagrid but because of how intelligent and how powerful they are and harry when he learns the dragons are a real and b that they that two species of dragons live in britain and are native to britain is astounded and he was like well how have i never seen them heard about them and ron's like well you know you don't hear about the muggles that get carried off by dragons you just like people assume they died in like mountaineering accidents or whatever that's what the propaganda that wizard spread to prevent muggles from finding out about it but it's it's so interesting the way that harry reacts to that is like fear and and sort of amazement that they're allowed to coexist with wizards in that way but ron sort of takes it for granted that of course dragons live in britain they live everywhere yeah so i think that you know even though this is uh the storyline of Norbert is relatively self-contained in this chapter. I do think this introduction of these mythical creatures tied with Hagrid and especially dragons as a whole in the series is actually, you know, maybe more important than we initially thought reading the chapter. So we've mentioned a couple times now that Hagrid gets a lot of character development in this chapter, and that leads me to, I think, a really important question that's on a lot of readers' minds at this point, 
Why do we think that Hagrid likes these monstrous, dangerous, magical creatures so much? What does that say about him as a character, as a person? We've already seen him have two very scary pets, Fluffy and now Norbert, and he's going to have many more throughout the series. So again, what do you think that says about him? Yeah, well, I think it probably represents a few things for Hagrid. Um, One, it shows that he has arguably, I think, the biggest heart in the series. Um, He's a huge softie and really can't stand any living creature to be mistreated. He's also literally got the largest heart. (laughs) Okay, yes, (laughs) good point. Uh, But he is just, you know, he's such a softie and I think he really just feels for all people and creatures around him and he wants to take care of them and engage with them. Also, more interestingly, I think that Hagrid himself is half-giant. Well, we know he's half-giant. And so I think that he likely feels like a monster or a freak some of the time, or he has throughout his life. And so he probably feels some sort of kinship to these creatures. And, you know, he is probably perceived as dangerous, and certainly his giant relatives are perceived as dangerous. So I think that, you know, he feels a connection and wanting to care for these creatures that others think are dangerous and he wants to take care of them so he feels that he also deserves to be taken care of you know so i think this is just a representation of the fact that you know hagrid is always an advocate for the underdog whether it's the students um like harry ron hermione or animals and creatures that others may not really want to root for yeah i think that's spot on i think you're really hitting on a lot of hagrid's key character traits there he, he obviously does have a huge heart. We've seen that from the very first time that he meets Harry. Um, he'll continue to support the underdog in everything that he does throughout the rest of the series. I do actually, I'm compelled by another line of thinking that I think would be really interesting to get into. And I don't know whether we want to get into it entirely right now, but I want to bring it up as like a wet your appetite with this theory kind of thing. So J.K. Rowling in the series does have an awful lot of a sort of it's in their blood view of people and creatures. Um, and we can see this from everything from Harry's natural talent at Quidditch, because his father was talented at Quidditch, to the treatment of everyone in Slytherin House as being, you know, objectively unsavory as a group of characters, especially from Harry's perspective, to outright discrimination against muggles and muggleborns for having so-called dirty blood. And sometimes um, Rowling will subvert this idea by having characters turn out the opposite of their parents, Sirius Black comes to mind. But with Hagrid, I think she also seems to be saying a little bit that his giantess mother has a lot of influence on him, and that this influence can be seen in his infatuation with predatory, monstrous creatures, you know, dragons, hippogriffs, acromantulas, fluffy. He even breeds the blast-ended scroots, it's implied, um, that he actually created them himself. So it might be that he is just a big softy, and that he feels like no one else is going to care for these creatures, and so he has to. But I think it also could be that this is a manifestation of his giant's blood, and that J.K. Rowling is saying, you know, Hagrid has overcome so much of his own nature, but this is one quirk that's sort of left over from all that genetic influence. Yeah, maybe. I think that's interesting, and I think there's a lot there. Like, as you mentioned before, there's a lot of, you know, other characters and things we could talk about related to that idea of the blood. Um, but I think that that can go in conjunction with what I was mentioning yeah, of course. before with, you know, not only him being a softie, but just the idea that whether it's in his blood or in his brain, he has this kinship with these dangerous characters. Yeah, totally. No, I think that's totally right. I think that it is both. I think that he really 
is compassionate and that that's part of it. And I think that's also a, a feeling of kinship to like dangerous creatures. And that is like the, the bloodthirstiness of giants coming through a little bit. I mean, he doesn't, he's not a violent person, but he does have a penchant for caring for violent creatures. And I think that can be seen as an influence. That also connects to something else that I wanted to talk about with Hagrid's character that we have on display this chapter, which is sort of his naivete and sort of one-dimensional thinking, where he has just, again, we've talked about this, his blind trust in Dumbledore's authority over the school and over the teachers. And it can sometimes leave him without any sort of perception when things go wrong, when evil forces start to encroach on the school. And we also see it in his carefree attitude towards these monstrous creatures because he has this misguided belief that they won't harm him or that they won't harm his friends when in reality they will if it benefits them. We see this in book two when Hagrid tells Harry and Ron to follow the spiders, intending for them to speak to Aragog when it was believed that Aragog had been the monster behind the Chamber of Secrets and Harry and Ron go to speak to Aragog and then Aragog tries to eat them. Mm -hmm. Hagrid clearly didn't think that was going to happen, but he underestimated Aragog's nature, and I think he often underestimates the nature of these bloodthirsty creatures in sort of a naive way. Yeah, and that also may be tied to what we were talking about before with the idea that, you know, people probably believe that Hagrid is a dangerous creature Absolutely. when they see him, and yeah. so he knows that he's not a dangerous creature, and he wants to believe the best in these other creatures, and especially with Aragog, Aragog hasn't hurt him, and they are friends, so he kind of, you know, he is naive, but... He just wants to believe the best because, you know, he knows that he's not dangerous and he wants to show others that they don't have to be dangerous. But you're right yeah. that they obviously are often and they can be. Um, and so he doesn't think things through a lot of the time and can put people in danger. I think it's really that he just places so much faith in people and creatures. Mm -hmm. He places so much faith in Dumbledore. It's really blind faith. He places a lot of faith in the creatures that he's raised, Aragog, and, you know, the hippogriffs and the scroots that they won't hurt him and his friends. And I think it really, he just is a very faithful person. He's very loyal. And he believes that other, other people and other creatures will be as loyal as he is. Because, again, as we're saying, he's overcome his nature to be this way. And he believes that everybody can. Okay, so the other character, I don't know if we would call it character development, but we do see, you know, a bunch of Malfoy in here. And I guess what I was wondering while reading this was, what exactly is Malfoy's motivation here? I mean, just to be, I think it's mostly just to be a bully, but it's like, how does getting the trio and Haggard in trouble help him? Is he just being a classist asshole? Is this even interesting to talk about? I don't know. I just... I feel like Malfoy's going to a lot of trouble, you know. Yeah, he is. He this. is, and he gets himself into trouble right. he has by attention. doing so. He he ends up skulking around after dark, same as Harry, Ron, and or rather Harry, Hermione, and Neville are, and he gets himself into trouble too, and he gets detention just like the rest of them. So he clearly is going out of his way to try to get them into trouble or to blackmail them or something. We never see him actually try to rat them out, except when he gets caught. Why does he do this? I think. It's clear that he intensely dislikes Hagrid and Harry and Ron and Hermione, of course. I think he dislikes Hagrid partially out of disdain. Hagrid's lower class. He's a servant. He associates really he's closely with... Well, we don't know that at this point. No, and but Malfoy he... doesn't. No, but, but he's he... different. Yeah. He's different. He's maybe a little slower. He might be seen as simple. He lives in a hut. He, you know, didn't finish school. 
Um, he associates closely with Harry Potter and his friends, who are Malfoy's, you know, school enemies. So obviously he doesn't like Hagrid very much. I think one of the things that we're learning about Malfoy in this chapter is that if he can make trouble for people that he doesn't like, he will, as long as it doesn't cost him anything. But here it actually does cost him something. It costs him a bunch of house points and detention. So we'll see whether he continues to make decisions like that in the future. My guess is I wouldn't if I were Malfoy. But if I can get someone in trouble without going out of my way, maybe I will do that. Yeah, and I, as I'm going to mention the fact that they are all 11. I'm going to mention that again in a, <laughs> in a couple of minutes. But I, I am reminded that, you know, Malfoy is 11 too. And this is a very, you know, 11-year-old bully thing to do, to tattletale and, you know, right. get people in trouble. I mean, it's, we can't give all of them, you know, too much credit because they are, so young yeah it Um, reminded me a lot of like siblings tattling on each other mm -hmm. you know spying on your sibling trying to figure out something some dirt that you can get on them and then telling your parents about it that's like almost exactly what malfoy is doing here he's just trying to get harry in trouble uh, based on something that he barely knows anything about right and kind of going off of this you know the trio is extremely competent in some ways in this chapter but also very naive at the same time and I think there's a few examples of this. Um, the first is at the beginning of the chapter, you know, they're trying to study in advance for their exams, but they're really in over their heads and kind of not learning anything. Well, Harry and Ron, definitely. I would argue that Hermione is very much in control. You're right. Of the yeah, exams Hermione thing. is very in control. Um, I think she even says that she got like 112% on her charms exam mm-hmm. at, at the end of the book. So I think she's going to be doing You're okay. Right. Hermione <laughs> is totally on top of things, but... It, at the beginning, at least, um, their study groups, you know, seem a bit disorganized. But more than that, even, they're very skilled in getting Hagrid to tell them more information about the guarding of the stone. They know how to kind of manipulate him to do that. Yeah. Um, but then they draw completely incorrect conclusions from this, which they've been doing the whole book. But, you know, they get themselves kind of hysterical about it. Um, then they also do their best to help Hagrid with hiding and caring for Norbert. But then Ron gets hurt in the process and then they blab, and then Malfoy hears um, them talking about it during class. And then, even when they skillfully move Norbert away, they get distracted and get caught by Filch. Right. So it really is like showing how they can be competent sometimes, but again, they're 11, and they're prone to making really dumb mistakes a lot of the time. These are still novice wizards. You know, They're not really capable of exercising good and judgment. novice humans yeah novice humans <laughs> again they're not general. really capable of exercising good judgment and following through on on their plans very well right it's like these you know teenage or preteen years it's like they you know feel like so confident and so precocious but they're really very fallible and you know they may think that they can do a lot because they have already done a lot but i don't know yeah no i think that has a lot of truth, and I think also probably has to do with, again, we've talked about this before, but the, the idea that they're Gryffindors in, a, mm-hmm. in an all-Gryffindor environment, mm-hmm. and, and it's probably a lot of, you know, people kind of doing brave, stupid stuff and getting away with it or getting rewarded for it even, and they've had a lot of those behaviors already this this book, and I think it's just encouraging them to, to do that more, really. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that these kind of character traits that we've talked about before it's just you know not a great environment because they are often being rewarded for these you know rule-breaking kind of daring things which are often for you know good reason but 
just don't they're not always the smartest when you think about development of them as children yeah but speaking of you know uh taking risks or doing stupid things and not being punished at the end of this chapter we see them get caught and as a little teaser for next chapter Mm -hmm. they're going to be punished and punished badly and it's going to make them especially harry and hermione who are the ones who get caught it's going to make them really think in the future about do we want to break the rules right now? Mm-hmm. Do we want to put Gryffindor's house points at risk? You know, is this really important to us? And at least for this book and for a couple more books, um, before they start really not caring about house points at all, they will actually think back to this moment and mm-hmm. think, is it really worth getting caught by McGonagall right now? Mm-hmm. Well, we've already revealed some of what happens in the next chapter, so I think maybe we should stop our discussion for tonight. Um, So thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter and feel free to email us at harrypodcast7 at gmail.com with any questions or comments you have. And stay tuned for next time when we bushwhack our way through Chapter 15, The Forbidden Forest. I'm Madeline. And I'm David. And we'll see you next time on the Harry Podcast. Knox.